Welcome to the Shine Shine Geek the Shine Geek and Fast Fret podcast. Done. Well done. Okay, we're gonna use that. <laughs> Welcome to the Sean Geek and Fast Rap Podcast. We are doing an episode of Geeking Out with Karen B. Say hi, Karen. Hello. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm I, just a fly in the wall. Just a fly in the I'm wall. Not, I'm just going <laughs> to. I'm, I'm not part of the cool kids. I just hang out with them. This is exclusively the cool kids table. Like that's yeah, yeah. None of that. Yeah, we are the cool kids. For once, we are the cool kids. Mm-hmm. So um, that yeah, voice that you hear, I guess uh, we should get this person to introduce himself. Uh, maybe explain who yeah. you are, what you just did, and um, and then we'll just sure. just start chatting. Yeah. Um, well. Hi everyone. Uh, I'm Jason Pajak, and I am a writer from here in beautiful, sunny, and totally not rainy and wet Winnipeg, Manitoba. And uh, last week, I released, or I guess not sure when this episode's going up, but uh, back in late September, September 27th to be exact, um, I released my debut cli-fi cyberpunk thriller novel, Bounty. Uh, through Ravenstone, which is an imprint of Turnstone Press, and got to accomplish a childhood yeah. dream in the process. So, That's... I've been like smiling constantly, <laughs> like since since that day. They sent me a pic, like I got a picture from McNally when they put the display up, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" It was really weird because I was Sharon approached me because I'd done one with Chadwick for his uh, his last release he put mm-hmm. out. Because uh, Chadwick and I kind of go way back. Um, so, I, you know, and when Chadwick has a new book out, I said, well, when you get a new book out, we'll do something. He said, oh, I'm doing a book reading. So I arranged all that. Um, so that I, I guess everybody remembered me from last time, I guess, or something. So they contacted me. Hey, first time author. We want to we wanna promote the, well, the shit out of it, I guess. So I said... <laughs> I, I, I asked a couple of questions and I'm like, Oh, well, this sounds cool. Like first time author. I like that. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, the idea, the ideas behind the book alternate Winnipeg, which is near and dear to me, alternate Winnipegs. Cause I'm a writer too. And I've designed an alternate Winnipeg. So I'm like, okay, this, this is cool. This is cool. I, I gotta be involved. Um, so that's why we're doing it. So I read the book. I got an advanced copy of the book. Karen has read the book as well. We both read the book. Didn't want you on until we finished the book. Cause I didn't want to be one of those. <laughs> you ever listen to those mm-hmm. fake podcasts out there where someone feeds them guests and they're like, hey, I'll read a chapter. Mm-hmm. But then, so they. Or even just like interviews, right? There's some interviews yeah. where the interviewer knows nothing about whatever yeah. the movie or the celebrity mm-hmm. or whatever and yeah. it just comes off like really really bad yeah or like the you go to like a press junket and they're just kind of sitting there in front of a celebrity they know absolutely nothing about they've never yeah. they don't know anything about the movie 
and they're just like there asking weird questions. It's like yes, yes. Uh, so Sean's question, like he, how I got roped into this, he was like, "How fast can you read?" <laughs> <laughs> like, can you read a book of this many pages in this amount of time? It's like, hey, what am I reading? I mean, are we talking about like like history? <laughs> Is it like a textbook? thousand page history? But book, yes. um, he was like, no. Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, in the future, this will be a history book. Um, but uh, no, it's exciting. It's exciting to uh, read. Like for me, I'm an art consumer. I'm not like Sean. I don't make stuff. I consume products. <laughs> you consume everything. So, um, uh, which is always fun. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's exciting that we get to meet you. How often do you get to meet the writers? Not very often. Clearly, We're usually very reclusive. We sit in our little cave and yeah. come up with weird ideas. It's fine. Yeah. Except for Chadwick. Chadwick's always, <laughs> Chadwick's always on the show, yeah. which is good. We got to have him back. Yeah. Karen, you should come for that one. We could talk gaming. Sure. Chadwick's, de- yeah, Chadwick's oh, designing. Wow. Um, yeah. He's sure. designing his own gaming system. Of course he is, because that Chadwick's just crazy. But um, so yeah. so I have I have a whole bunch of things I need I I need to know because I'm a need to know kind of guy. Um, but I, I just I don't know where to start. So you did answer the question of why Winnipeg, but I think. Um, I think I want to, I, I think I want to talk about this a bit, Karen, when you saw the whole lead up in the book, when you were reading this, you, the, the, uh, the world building was the thing that you brought up and I'm really big on world building. So yeah, it's Winnipeg. Sure. It's Winnipeg and it's where you grew up, that sort of thing. You answered that stuff already, but, um, can you kind of walk through the process of, okay, Winnipeg is my backdrop. Now I'm going to build an alternate history around that. How did that mm-hmm. come about? Um, well, it kind of, it goes back to the, the original ideas that kind of percolated when I came up with this original idea and like the original idea sparked because of basically a song that I had heard and I got this like crazy idea in my head about like bounty hunters chasing people in a city. And I was like, my mind started rolling and I was like, I got to like do something with this. And I decided, okay, I'm going to set it in Winnipeg. I'm going to do all these things. And I knew I wanted to set it in the future. And one of my first thoughts was, okay, I'm a sociologically minded person. I have a master's in sociology and I was, you know, in the thick of, well, I guess near the end of my undergrad and going into grad school at the time. And I was thinking, okay, what if nothing changes? And it's very fitting that we're doing this recording on election (laughs) night um, (laughs) when things might significantly change for our province. Um, But I thought of if nothing changed about Canadian society, if we continued on the the path that we have been on for, I'm going to say optimistically since the 70s and 80s, with this whole push towards very neoliberal economic policies and relying on, you know, the free market and business and corporations to solve a lot of the problems that we're facing, you know, 
getting you know private clinics to start taking healthcare patients and you know private schools to start teaching our kids and you know bringing in you know privatized energy production and things like that where we're relying on the free market to solve a lot of our problems i thought okay in the far future like 100 years in the future what could all of these outcomes look like and i settled on this world where in a very cyberpunk way corporations own absolutely everything everything is run and there's a line in in the book where you know argo basically is the government and every service that the government hands out and does for people is filtered through a subsidiary of this big Canadian mega corporation. Um, so that's kind of where I settled on that. And then when the idea to actually build what the city would look like, you know, I consumed so much science fiction content, you know, I almost exclusively read science fiction and fantasy. I've been on a really long fantasy kick for the last mm-hmm. like, two years um, but science fiction is a huge part of, you know, the media that I consume and the books that I've read. Um, and I always see, you know, the big towers that touch the sky. I think of like altered mm-hmm. carbon where it goes so far up, like people are looking out to the clouds and I thought, you know, what would be kind of different is what if we, instead of going up, yeah. we went down and use the space that was available to us and just kind of built these subterranean cities um, still like with open access to the air and everything, but building deeper down into the ground. And then that was really the, the idea that I had. And then you fast forward to when, you know, I'm starting to work with Turnstone and the idea to kind of pivot the genre from a very traditional cyberpunk story to take advantage of this emerging genre of climate fiction. How would that specific piece impact how a city is constructed and the rationale behind why a city might be built vertically as, as opposed to horizontally, like right now we're seeing this across Canada. We're not looking towards population density and building density with, you know, housing, everyone wants their big, you know, suburban lot that's, you know, mm-hmm. half an acre and, you know, you know, you've got all this grass that you need to cut and trees you need to take care of. So we're expanding horizontally and further out from the city center. Yeah. And, and it has a, a very, it's a rationale that really fits with the reason why a lot of particularly European cities are moving towards even more population density. Uh, in urban density, you know, the way that, you know, mm-hmm. Madrid and Paris and London are all kind of redeveloping the way that they're constructed and their housing is constructed to fit more people into a smaller area to reduce the need for, you know, to preserve all of this land outside of these cities to build green space, to plant trees and have farmland and to utilize, you know, one of the crazy stats is like there should be no problem for building housing in the United Kingdom because of like only about 10% of the usable land is covered by anything. And you think of this tiny little island where everyone thinks like, oh, they must be like falling over each other. No, it's actually, it's pro- there's a lot of area you can cover there. Um, so it does have that kind of rationale that feeds into 
what we're already seeing and already experiencing um, that I think for, for people today, and that's kind of obviously this is really the point of science fiction is to point at the world of today, wrap it in this fantastical shell. So you yeah, can make yeah. a commentary about the way things are and so the way things this, are going. So correct me if I'm wrong. So this is roughly a hundred years in the future. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the 21, well, the year is 2120 in the book. So. Yeah, and I uh, one of the things that was brought up and has been brought up by a couple people is the fact that like mm-hmm. hockey still exists. Oh yeah, yeah. I, like in a very like Manitoba way, I had to bring up the fact that hockey that was great. exists in this book. Yeah, that, that was great actually. I yeah, because I'm like, oh yeah, he's he's a hockey guy, right? And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of hockey references. I'm like, okay, yep. but but it's like it makes sense. Like we're we're such a hockey town. It doesn't matter what the hell's going on in the world we're still going to have hockey in our town. There's no way it's going away. Those de- the guy, you get out, you, you get home after a long day of work and you still have the game recorded because it's a yeah, rivalry exactly. match. That, that was good. See, that's, that's one of those touchstones I was talking about. Like, even though it's in the future, it's mm-hmm. still now. Like, there's so many things that are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did... so? How long? So I think you mentioned you started writing this in 2017 or something. Yeah. So the initial, like the initial idea kind of came to me in 2016. I did a little bit of like writing, but it wasn't until 2017 where I I like buckled down and said, all right, at some point in my life, I'm going to have to write a book and actually finish it. I'm going to take this idea and run with it. Um, So 2017 is when I, wrote the first draft and it took me about a year a year and change to write it um and then you know the iterations that led up to signing the deal with turnstone at the end of 2020 and working over the next couple of years to develop and redevelop the story um because when you change genres like not a lot of you know the the narrative largely stayed consistent um, but the the genre and some of the the elements to the world really, you know, I what I wanted you know, I wanted to do this at the time was really start to change things. And when that genre switch happened, I used it as an excuse to just like go at this and take all of the ideas that 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 the genre shift gave me. So not clarify originally, you know, right? No, it, it was very much a a a traditional cyberpunk critiquing socioeconomics of the modern day and, you know, corporations and things like that. And, um, and kind of that evolution and and the concept really didn't have to change all that much when I switched over to Cli-Fi because I found in exploring that genre that like, they're basically like, this they're they're very much enmeshed with one another and i think moving forward it's going to become those two genres are going to blend together because you can't exactly talk about the future without considering the climate very and true. the way that our planet is going it's such a cool like point of view <laughs> mm-hmm. um i have a question did you always um were you always writing something did you write like short stories did you start from there or uh, like for, for this particular one or just like in general or just like in, in general just like um because one of my favorite parts is like the world building i told sean like 
thing I liked the most is like the world building. Mm-hmm. But I think I was most impressed with how you wrote the world building part, if that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. almost reminds me of like, you know, the Hobbit or something where it's like laying down the foundations and like as you as you follow the main character, the descriptions are just so Mm-hmm. Kind of perfect it's not it's not telling you that oh there's a rock beside the rock there's a tree mm-hmm. it's not that like literal but it's like i don't know it's it just like the information you need naturally so were you always writing something or yeah kind so of your first... this is my yeah. first like this book was my first um time sitting down and saying okay i'm gonna take something from start to finish like i've been writing stuff on and off since I was like seven years old, you know, I was, I was that kid. Um, I've talked about it before, but I, you know, we still don't have internet <laughs> at my family cottage. Um, so, you know, I would go to the cottage and we'd go there and we'd, my dad would commute back to the city cause it was only like an hour drive for him to get back to work. And we would stay out there f- for weeks at a time. And I would go from being in the city with the internet and the video games to being somewhere with no TV, no internet, no friends anywhere. It's just me and my siblings and my thoughts. And you either go insane or you find something to do. And my thing to do was to read. And eventually I just thought, hey, maybe I should do this. And maybe, you know, I've got ideas that are popping into my head every once in a while. So I would scribble things down, filling up notebooks with ideas and different things and using any excuse that I had in school to whenever there was the option to write a short story or something, I would take that and be like, all right, this is the one time I'm actually going to do my assignment because I want to do it. Um, And so I was just like always writing stuff and coming up with ideas and you know, that, that hasn't finished. Like my phone is the notes app on my phone is filled with ideas. Um, and it was just in that, that period. Um, I was in the middle of finishing, you know, my, my honors thesis and getting ready for like my, you know, my undergrad to come to an end and I had a little bit of extra time. And I thought oh, I might as well, you know, keep this train going. Um, I've been writing stuff constantly since I started university. So might as well write something from, from me. And that's how that came about. And that whole process now has resulted in it being like, I'm always writing something. I've always got some idea that I'm working on. You know, I've, I've already written the sequel. I'm working on the third book while I'm writing a fantasy novel. Like I just, I, it doesn't so, stop. So you have multiple books um, at various stages. Okay, I don't feel alone then. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've got. Um, I, I wrote yeah. a book oh. in. I don't know. That, that would tell you how old I am. But I wrote a um, my first book a long time ago, and then um, I wrote another book, and then after that, then I started just ping ponging between. Uh, you know, working on a couple books at a time and um, I've got all these works that I, ah, I'll edit that later. So all these, and then mm-hmm. there's a choice at some point, like this is the one 
I'm going to take it, carry it forward. So you're in that same situation where, no, this is, this is the idea. You might've written 10,000 words with one idea, but it's like, no, no, that's not, that's not the one to carry forward. Is that kind of the general idea? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And, you know, I've got half finished like chapters of things here and there. And, you know, I, I, after I wrote the first draft of bounty, when I was going through the whole editing process, um, I started toying around with working on the, the sequel. And I had this like weird thought of like, okay, I don't want to put the energy into this if like nobody's ever going to read it and it's not going to get published. Like why would I start writing the sequel? So I just went and I wrote a horror novel in like a few months. I just like took, there was an, like, a thought that I had about this particular um this particular concept that i had for this world and this this guy that's like isolated at this like church in the middle of the woods and he's the the groundskeeper at this church and he's alone and what happens to him and i wound up writing this whole novel and it's just sitting on my computer and i have no Mm -hmm. idea what to do with it um so just like all all of those different ideas and i think um to go back to the the conversation about how things were written in terms of like how the world building was constructed and actually written i think it's hard because it's a bit of a chicken and the egg situation where um you know while i was writing the original draft of bounty i was working in uh, sports writing i was a sports reporter and then became sports editor at the Manitoban, which is the, the U of M student newspaper. And I was writing these breakdowns and stories about, you know, the games that had happened. And, you know, I grew up playing hockey and I was covering uh, the women's hockey team at the time. And I was just describing the play as I saw it as a former player and it was very descriptive and like very, but like very snappy because like just the way that for, for some reason, the way that I wrote it and that bled into the way that bounty was written. Okay. Let, um, let, let's go with that. So, that cause I was going to ask this later anyway, but yeah. so the description of the action sequences, that's, that's your hockey writing there. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, very i would say very kinetic um it's always it's very um yeah it's very action focused and movement focused um it's a lot about the way that you know the way that i i would read the play in hockey and understand how the play would develop in hockey is just based on like an intuitive understanding of how bodies move in a space and how physics operates within confined Mm -hmm. spaces and having to be aware of how bodies are shifting and moving in time with one another in three dimensions. Um, And it kind of evolved into this style of writing action where I kind of write it as thinking of the, the reader's eye in the scene as a cinema camera. And if the viewer were there, if the person reading the book was actually in this moment, 
what would be the important things for them to be seeing and how would they need to be positioned to be able to see it properly? So when characters are moving around in a space, like where would the camera be positioned to catch what's going on? And even like little motions here and there, the, the quick cut to someone's hand moving or something shifting in the background, you know, those little, I did like that. I did like um, that because like there's, there's certain books where the book's great. You're going along the action scene comes and it's, he punched him. He punched him back. He got knocked out. Like it's literally like mm-hmm. no description, but then everything that came before the character mm-hmm. interactions, the, 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 the conversations like, and then you hit a point where it's like, Oh, he threw a right punch. Like there's no, but I like that you actually, cause mm-hmm. for me, like the, the fight scene in any book, there, there's a choreography to it. And it's the same thing in the movies on how that director decides to shoot that scene. There's, there's always the complaint of, you know, there's daredevil season one, like the fight in, in the hallway that everybody talks about. Like they spent a lot of time making sure we saw what happened and we felt what happened, but then you get other movies, maybe the Bourne movies a little bit where it, it's just jump cuts and you don't know what the hell's going on. Like that's not, Mm-hmm. That that's not ex- and the Bourne movies like those those fights are yeah. incredibly well choreographed. If yeah, they had just like locked Amen. off the camera Amen. and let the actors go. They they have use a wide shot or something. Like, like sometimes there was these like, close ups. It's like yeah, but I want to see what I want to see what these guys are doing. You know, yeah you you don't need the quick jump cuts to no. make it feel faster and frenetic. The action itself, like I when I was writing, particularly when I was writing the action scenes, I always went back to, and I think this movie came out at the perfect time, but think about John wick and how those fight scenes were choreographed and how they were represented to the viewer in as much detail as possible. And all the fights were, there's no flash and flare. Like they're, they're very flashy fights, but they're fighting in a way that's so natural where it feels like these are trained combatants that are trying to down each other in the fastest way possible there's not going to be some like dancey you know nothing against bruce lee but there's not going to be like this dancey flashy you know bruce lee fighting you're going to try and put the guy down as fast as possible so what are the processes that you need to go through to make that happen and that's kind of what i was thinking when i was writing those fight scenes and i always the main character because um whatever the main character is seeing we're seeing right mm-hmm. like every i think there was like towards like the end like the big the big battle scenes um there were like pages where it's like there's no dialogue but i'm loving mm-hmm. it because you're just describing it um I, you're describing every single thing and mm-hmm. it's painting a picture which i was telling sean like i think i'm missing some visuals because like i'm always curious if i'm imagining the same scene Ooh, yeah. as yeah. the writer if i'm reading a book right because sometimes mm-hmm. there's like no pictures if, unless it's a graphic novel then you know exactly what they're talking about but like you know um i'm always like curious but also i like that because it's mm-hmm. open to mm-hmm. whatever i can imagine you know yeah. and like i'll be perfectly honest there is no like my way of viewing the scenes is not inherently the correct way of viewing the scene if you see it mm-hmm. differently and view it differently in your mind, that is just as correct as the way that I have Mm -hmm. related because you are the person that's interpreting what is in front of you and you are like, we're telling the story together. 
because I'm laying down the tracks and you are the one that's making the engine move forward. Um, so I just try and make it easier for people to get it. And I think, you know, I was thinking when you said that, like there was pages and pages of no dialogue. I was like, because I was really worried about <laughs> writing dialogue. <laughs> like, Wait, was that something um, you were struggling with? Like, was it, was I, the dialogue it was, thing? It was, I don't know if it was me struggling with it. It was me just not feeling confident in my ability mm, to write it. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things where like, world building, great. I can do that in my sleep. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I was a very imaginative kid. Um, and, you know, doing the action scenes, perfect. Like that's totally up my alley. Like I was the kid that consumed you know, the, the battle scenes and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. And, you know, those were the best parts of those movies for me. Cause I got to see these, like these things unfolding these, these like long scenes of no dialogue where you're just engrossed in it. Um, but dialogue was one thing where I was always like, is this coming off corny? Is it not as like snappy as I think it is? Is it boring? Do the characters feel flat and lifeless? And it was, that was one of the things that I worked on super hard is being more confident in the, um, in the dialogue and writing the dialogue, because it was something that for years I had been worried about. And I think I, I don't exactly know what the mo the specific moment was, but I think there were a couple scenes that jump out to me, one of which is not in the final book at all. But I still think it's one of the best, best scenes, like emotionally, um, is there was like a full-blown multi-page argument between Nikos oh. and Maria that that was in a an earlier draft. Um, it's the scene where they go to on yes. their date. Um, to the restaurant? To, to meet the right. Jows. Okay. Yeah. Um, they they left the place and they were a little tipsy and wound up standing on a rooftop just screaming at each other because they were arguing over something that had been percolating throughout the story. And I sat there and I I'm sad that it's gone, but I also like I like how that chapter progresses and the, the snippet that I took of that argument and put somewhere else. I think it's way more effective the where where okay, it is. So that so it moves um, to the point where she's discovering that he hasn't been frank with with the AI thing. Yeah, and he, yeah, and he's been, you know, she is very, and I, it was much more the the divide for them was much more along the like the whole point was that. Maria was like worried she'd lost everything. Like she'd left and she left under very like onerous circumstances. Like the last thing that she remembers from some of her friends was in an argument in the bar and she goes off, she's off fighting in Africa. She comes back and is super worried about like, Oh, did I just like burn all my bridges? Did my friends now hate me? Mm -hmm. And she comes back and realizes that one of her best friends has basically been hanging around with the enemy and is going to take the only life that she knows away from her. And she just wants him to admit that he's done it. 
and they have this long argument about it and it gets very personal. Um, and that was one scene where I was like, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do this dialogue thing pretty well. And the other, um, it's really funny, but, um, my girlfriend's not a reader like at all. Um, she like, she loves world building. Um, she's writing a D and D got like, like a setting guide right now. And she's homebrewed this entire world with like religion and lore and structures and everything. Um, uh, but doesn't like to read like books. <laughs> so we're reading it together. Um, basically like a chapter a night. And we were reading this, the basically chapter three. Um, and the scene where it's just Nikos and Odin talking at the table at breakfast and that whole like scene, she's like giggling beside me because, you know, the dialogue is going along and all like the funny beats that I was trying to put in there, those were hitting. And I was like, okay, I, yeah, I, I did it. it. You know, the book is out there. It's on shelves. I've <laughs> signed copies. It's out there. And okay. I did do the dialogue correctly. Oh. Speaking of which, two, I got to get mine signed, so are... we're going to have to meet up at some point because yeah. I got to get this, yeah. thing, this thing signed. Um, I did want to talk about, so you've got this idea, you've decided to pursue it. I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. This is the one, this is the one I, I, I feel can connect with an audience. This is the idea that, that mm -hmm. you know, I can really stand behind. You start doing the writing process, that whole thing. At that point, were you like, okay, I got to find an agent or a publisher? Or were you worried about that at that point? Or was that something like, I'll worry about that later? And then as well, how does that happen? Because it, it just just from, from a guy who's been writing his entire life and mm -hmm. I'm not signed to anything, I've had stuff published, but I've done it on my own. How do you, mm -hmm. how do you, how does that whole thing work? Like, I think our listeners are like, mm -hmm. okay, he's a first time author. How the fuck did that happen? Like, you know, like I, I think we want to know like the, yeah. the nitty gritty, like how, how does that actually work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, when I went into it and writing the book, I was very noncommittal on actually trying, like I, I, I knew I wanted to get it published and I knew that it was going to be a, probably a pretty long journey like there's so many people like i know tons of tons of would-be authors mm -hmm. people who are trying and there's like countless you know every year thousands of people try and get a book published and only a few hundred actually succeed um so i knew that it was going to be a, a tough journey so i just i think a lot of people get stuck in the the mind like the, the frame of, okay, I need to do something that could get published and get published traditionally. So they kind of like do market research to figure out like what popular stories mm. are and what works and what doesn't work. And they like, they construct a story to fit the market, which is, I think the complete Amen. wrong way to yeah, go that, about that it. That ain't right at all. Um, it's, mm -hmm. if you're one of those weird, like, grifters online that's trying to sell a course on how to like be successful like sure like go for tell, trying to tell people to do that like don't do that you suck but um i think what people need to understand and what i i felt at the time was i want to write a story that i enjoy i'm a science fiction fan i love cyberpunk i love stories like this so i'm just going to write the story that i want to write that i enjoy writing 
and there's going to be an audience for it. Somebody will find it. Somebody will enjoy it. And there will be somebody who's willing to take a chance on it. So I wrote it. And then I got to the point where I was like, all right, now I got to find an agent or find a publisher. And it took a long time because, you know, genre fiction is a Mm -hmm. tricky market to get into. And a lot of agents will tell you this, you know, when you're going through the query process, you know, for those who who are wanting to get into this, um, there's really two routes you have. Um, You either have to find publishers who will take submissions from unagented writers, or you have to find an agent who will take you on and will go to the publishers who will take agented writers. Um, Because publishers use agents as kind of like a filter mechanism the, the agents vet the the product and the person, and then they bring them an idea that they think is marketable and something that can sell. Um, and I struggled to find an agent that would take a chance on the story that I had. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go direct to some publishers. And I went to a bunch of different publishers around the world, some big, some small, and... I was kind of thinking like, all right, I don't know if this idea is going to work. And I was ready to like, I wasn't ready to like fully scrap it, but I was ready to let a different project. You know, just go self-publish or something, you know? Yeah. Something like that. And then I got, you know, contacted by Turnstone. They said like, Hey, we're interested in this idea that you have here. And they went through their process of, you know, their discussions on you know, how they take on. They're, they're a small indie publisher. They only publish mm-hmm. a few books a year. Um, and they took it away and talked about it and said, hey, we think there's something here. And we want to help you get to that idea and that that finished product. And it was a really it was kind of like the exact thing that I needed. And it was, I think to me such an, a, it was such a, a vote of confidence from them. And I think it, and it's part of their ethos with, you know, building Canadian voices and particularly Manitoba mm-hmm. literature that they will take on somebody and be like, all right, we're going to work with you to help you grow as a writer. By the end of this process, we want you to be a better writer and be more confident in the work that you do. Um, we don't know. Well, they do care how long <laughs> it takes, but you know, they, they know that it's going to take a while. Um, so they knew that there was an idea there and there was something to this. There was like a glimmer of something in the idea that was undeniable. And we worked very hard, you know, myself and my editor, Melissa to draw out what exactly that was and, you know, quick pivot in genre and some revamped world building. And suddenly we find this narrative that, you know, you know, by the end of it, I was like, I, I, I look back at that original concept and that original draft and I'm like, I think it pales so far in comparison to what the final product is that I never could have seen it any other way. Like it is so much better. And you know, that was, that was my journey. And the one thing, and like the thing that Jameis told me 
um, when you know I agreed that I uh, agreed to Turnstone's offer was you know that nobody tells you how long the process <laughs> is and how much work it is. Um, you know, we as you know consumers of of stories and of literature, we see the final product and we see the end of the marketing journey. We don't see the years that go into it and the ideas that are and the drafts that are written and thrown out and the ideas that are changed. You know, not everybody is Stephen King or Greg Patterson or, you know, all of those, you know, crime writers that have a team of ghostwriters yeah. behind them so they can publish yeah. three books a year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom loves John Grisham, but I don't know how many of his books are actually John Amen. Grisham writing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the average writer, it's going to be two, three years of hard work and waiting and thinking. And by the end of it, I was like, this is, I, I was on one hand, I was tired and I was like, I just want this thing to come out. Like, can it be done? But also I was like, even up to the end, we were toying with ideas of like, how do we, how do we tweak? There's something about this that I want to change. Working, you get a, you get get find, yeah. 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 That's, so, that, that's for, for anybody who's, no, I was just going to say like, that, that's the process that I'm, that I'm most fascinated with because like I'm on mm-hmm. the ninth edit of my current book, which I, I want to bring forward. Like, I think it's good enough. Uh, my wife and I have talked about it is like mm-hmm. out of everything I've written, like this is the one that can connect. Right. So, but I'm on the ninth edit and, and Karen and I bring this up on the show all the time. The ninth edit is so important because we look at movies, we look at cinema, we look at like the Marvel cinematic universe and stuff like that and how they've had some, some misfires lately. And, and their execution is like, they're rushing the product out instead of no, no, you need to sit with it. Mm-hmm. You need to massage it out. You need to put a little bit of gloss on it. If it ain't ready, you can't put it out. You got to go back to the drawing board and you got to, you know, you got to polish this part. You got to fix that thing. So we started calling it the ninth edit, which, you know, you can't just, there's, there's a sense of like, if you were doing, if you had done your, your, your statistics and okay, this is hot, this is good. This is this type of character and, and done like that paint, paint by numbers thing and put it out because right now in this next three to five years, this is really hot. You really got to get this out. And if you, if you did that, you'd rush the product out. It's hitting all the points it needs to hit, mm-hmm. you know, but it's not your, but it's not exactly. your story. And I, I think, and it comes off as inauthentic and, you know, that's why a lot of the movies that are coming out now yeah. flop. It's not because, you know, under the underlying, like the, the animators or the actors did a bad job. It's the, the, the story it's does superhero exactly. burnout mm-hmm. and it's like no it's, it's just a bunch of shitty movies came yeah. out that you know right yeah it's like i'm i am you know about 60 hours into Baldur's gate 3 and i just started act 3 and it's a video game that come out came out from a smaller studio that is everything that every gamer has been wanting for forever but the businesses and the publishers said that it wouldn't work. This is big sprawling RPG with all of these options and no DLC and no day one patch and no microtransactions and all of these things, the things that make people money. They okay. said it wouldn't work. And then it comes out 
It mm-hmm. smashes all kinds of records and there's millions of people playing it every day because it's what we wanted. And it mm-hmm. was what the studio, the game studio wanted to put out. Um, and I think of like cyberpunk 2077 just had their, their 2.0 update. And that's the game the- that CD project red wanted to put out, but the studio just didn't give them the time to oh, make seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause I, I, okay. I've yeah, heard it's, about it's the game way- and then all the, the flop, the flop of the game. So the new version is actually worthwhile. They, they wanted to delay it another year. Oh yeah. You can't um, do that. We're, we have to make money to here. Fix Come on. All, to fix. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. They, they wanted to fix all the bugs, iron out everything and add in a bunch of content that that was missing. And the publisher basically said, no, you have to put it out now because our, you need to come out by Christmas because our earnings call is right after that. And we need to make sure that this comes out and meets all these targets. And, and, we're now three years after two, three years after launch and the 2.0 update comes out with the DLC and all of the things people wanted in there are now in there. And the game is in like a perfectly polished state. It's like, yeah, you just give them time to make. So the if thing they, they had really, if they had taken that extra amazing. year that, that they wanted to do and it got released, mm-hmm. it probably yeah. would have been more like this. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Yeah. And that, that's the thing is like, you that's why you know you don't want to write a story just to fit a market niche or to fit mm-hmm. the needs of where the, the the trends are right now that's how we got seven thousand ya novels mm-hmm. that are exactly the same yeah because everyone was right trying to write the next harry potter or the next mm-hmm. i don't know what i don't know the other YA. but even like harry Jackson. potter kind of fell into um the pressure of you know you have she has to release a book by it's this amazing. time or the whatever books got, got bad yeah, the quality, after the quality is different right like the quality yeah. clearly dropped at some point after she was forced to kind of release and um, people give george rr R. martin like crap for not finishing his books but i'm like if he's not ready it's not ready like if all he mm-hmm. has is two chapters that's all it is like yeah. You know, he's, he's if not we never see the end that. of it, like that's that's fine because it mm-hmm. if it was forced out, that wouldn't have, have been George's uh, decision. Pa- have you read Patrick exactly. Rothfuss? No. Yeah. Name of the Wind. Uh, now he's. I, I'm not done. I only okay. Read so like two. <laughs> this book, I'm sorry, I'm nerding out here. It happens. <laughs> this is called Geeking Out with Karen B. I just happen to be here, but um, <laughs> when I read that book. Like that was the book where I read like, holy shit, this is what happens when you put the book out when it's actually done. And then I read the mm-hmm. second book and it's equally as good. And I'm like, holy shit. It, it is, it is possibly in my, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, possibly the best thing that's mm-hmm. been written since Lord of the Rings. Possibly. It is that great. Like every single word matters. There's a, you know, there's, there's a paragraph and they're not putting in filler words. Mm-hmm. They're not using filler adjectives. They're every single word matters and it flows like poetry almost. It is that well-written and his third book isn't out. That's exactly What's how that? I feel about. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about the first law trilogy from Joe Abercrombie. There were, you know, these are like five, 600 page books and there were scenes and things that happened where I was like, why is this happening? Why are we talking about this character? Like, why did they make a specific mention about this random dead body next to a tree? 
and then you get to the third book and everything yep. starts to reveal itself and you're like oh he's fig he's had this plan since the beginning mm -hmm. and now it's coming to fruition and his vision has been able to stretch across these three books is it, is it a trilogy and, it's, and it's just like yeah um so it's a, that arc that story arc is done uh, but the universe continues on there's a few standalone books in the middle um and then there is a second trilogy after which i'm sorry i missed i missed the uh, i'm writing it down it i missed the author's name who was it sorry uh, oh joe abercrombie joe abercrombie yeah, yeah like yeah, abercrombie yeah. Gotcha. um so it's the first law trilogy and then there's the world of the first law which is um the heroes okay i'm gonna look um, this up uh Red Country, and then there's the one. It's my favorite of all of the novels, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's being turned into a, a net. Like oh, a is it? Okay. Kind of series. Um, best, okay, best so you had, so your your homework um, in the name of the wind, Patrick Rothfuss. Yeah. Um, so okay. the people are are getting on his case because his third book's not out yet, but I think mm -hmm. he had written the first mm -hmm. book. Uh, I'm I'm making assumptions here. I think he had written the first book, had written most mm -hmm. of the second book. And then his first book gets put out. So there's not as long of a wait for the second book to come out because he's already started, right? Mm -hmm. So now there's no third book and people are like, oh my God, he's he's lazy. I, I, I saw him on a live stream and he was playing video games. Like what what, what the hell does he think he's doing? It's like, yeah, he's 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 letting things marinate. He's 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 getting the creative juices mm -hmm. going. He's let him put the book out when it's ready. They're also allowed to do other well, things. Well, yeah, like come yeah. on, man. Like don't get on George R. R. Martin's case because he made a bajillion dollars and he wants to work on a yeah, video like, fine. He wants to create Elden Ring. Yeah. Like, yeah. let him do it. Right. That's the thing. There's, there's an impatience that, you know, it's one person writing that book. It's not a, it's not like, like you said, John Grisham, there's, there's a team of 20 people writing this book. It, it, no, he's writing the book. Mm -hmm. If you want the vision unmarred and the way it needs to come out, like, let's give these people some, some time. You know, or or don't read anything yeah. until the whole trilogy's done, or quadrology, or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, just you know, let it be what it is. Let it allow that ninth edit, like the infamous ninth edit we keep talking about. Like, yeah, and like for for like full on context, like I I was looking back at this now, and I the editorial process for me. Um, went through seven rounds of revisions there were seven different drafts um you know and then you throw in the two drafts that i wrote yep. before then there we go so it's nine and then there's about three or four drafts of yep. copy edits and you know that took a really long time um but it's much sure. better for it because you know i went through a process and yeah. there was a draft that was over 500 pages long and it was way too long um, and I had to rip a bunch of stuff out, but there are chapters from that 500 page draft and like concepts from it that still are in the book today. And there are full chapters that I have saved on a document that I'm going to use in the future. They're still canon yeah. to the world. They yeah. happened. They happened off screen. I'm just using them later. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you finished all your edits, uh, the final edit, did you have that feeling of like, this is it. Like I'm done. And you have that like 
feeling of satisfaction. Or, or were you like, oh shit, what are yeah. they going to find now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. A little bit more, a little bit of that. Um, when editorial finished, um, the funny thing was I was at the lake and, you know, I just, I had sent off the draft and went to the lake and I was sitting, I was at, you know, my girlfriend's cottage out in the white shell and thankfully there's internet out there. Um, so I got the email and said, yeah, we're going to move on to copy edits. And I was like, for real? <laughs> Wait, it's done? Like, for real? We're, we're moving on? Moving on to the next stage? Cool. And then when copy edits were done and we started getting to the proofs, I was like, I, the, the day that I first saw the proofs and with the, the, the everything laid out and I got to see that grungy like title text mm. for the first time, I was like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is real right now. And that's when it started to feel like, oh, this you're is talking the about like the chat, the chapter this headers, like that thing. text you're talking about, and then the bounty text. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a thing now. Um, it's got an identity. It's got a, like, see a visual from... flair to it. It's yeah. That was like that was a surprise from from Jameis. I was like, oh, that's cool. Well, oh wait, that's that's my just, book. Like, just like stood... <laughs> was there moments like wait, yeah. that's my book. It's like wait. Yeah, I had to like sit there. I was like, "Huh, that's gonna have my name on it." It's the you words guys, that I sure wrote. You guys want to give me credit for this? It's the opening line that I came up with. <laughs> what about so? What about <laughs> so? The the cover here. So how? What's what's the process mm -hmm. there? Did you have input into this? Did you say this is what I want? Like how does like did you seek out someone yourself or did or did uh, Ravenstone do it? Like like how does how does that work? So that was a pretty hands-off process. Um, you know, I, I'm i not a very, like, artsy person. Like, I don't... Like, I had so ideas. Nice yeah, that, that, that is art, <laughs> my friend. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not visual, visual art, yes. art or, you know, paintings and drawings and stuff. Um, so I had kind of ideas of what I wanted it to look like and kind of with a feel for it and turnstone went away and you know they did some searching and found an artist and basically james turned over like 30 cover mocks oh boy to me and with like a bunch of different art and different imagery and that was the one that we kept coming back to because it to me really captured the claustrophobia and like heat mm. and like the crush of the city um you know it's dark and red but it's got like the angle so there feels like there's a movement to the image and it's very like hemmed in and dark and it got that feeling across very very well um and we kind of just like i saw it i looked at it i was like oh that's the cover that's got to be it like that 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 feels like feels so right to me and we did some small changes and you know to the to the text and adding the little the little robot guy in there and um it just kind of fell were there the way there was it was were there other situation. thoughts of having the main character there or maybe like the the group like the kind of the three or the four mm -hmm. instead or yeah there were um, I had a, a bunch of different ideas. Um, 
of like sequences you know i'm i'm very much obsessed with you know when you have a a trilogy or a, a series where all of the books visually fit together um so i really had loved this idea of like a sequence where you know there's um you know book one it's this chase that's going on and book two it's these people crashing through like the middle pane like the plane of the book separating the top and the bottom and the third one is them falling um down to like into that bottom pane and it was an idea that i had and then through all of the the different mocks and the ideas that one kind of just settled in and the thought was like the 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 robot was a fairly late addition to to the cover but i think it really like the first the moment i saw it i was like yeah that's the cover like just don't touch it don't change anything that's it we got to go with that um there were times where i was like oh do do we want to do the you know, the heroes standing on top of the building or like the face or the crew standing together. But like that to me felt a little bit too mm-hmm. conventional and too like movie uh, poster, yeah, or, like yeah. modern movie poster, not when movie posters were yeah. cool. Um, so I wanted something that was very different. And that's kind of where it what came out. I up. like it because I didn't I didn't know what the cover looked like at, until I was actually at, at, at McNally and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm it's the robot. And then I'm looking at it and going, well, if I saw this, you know, if, if I hadn't got a a preview copy and I saw this on the shelf, I'm like, I'll go, Hmm, pick it up, read the back. Like it's, it's got enough striking, like visually speaking, Hmm. it's got enough to to bring in. Yeah. Like the color. It it just, but it it doesn't look like other stuff on the shelf. Like the, the choice of the colors actually, it makes you look and and the mm-hmm. fact that it like it bleeds sorry i should show here it kind of bleeds over yeah most books it's like okay there's an image on the front mm-hmm. you flip it there's this i gotta actually on that i gotta shout out my girlfriend um she's much more visually yep. art-minded than me um that oh, nice. was her idea was to arrange the images in a way that like there was this follow through it's a great freaking um, idea between the two so if you did if you literally did what sean did and you take the book and you fold it out you can see there's a continuity it makes you want to flip it and go to the back and then you're like it's almost like i don't even know if i'm gonna read the back i'm just gonna pick this up you know it's just like there's enough visually to, to and but also mm-hmm. the the kinetic style matches like the just you know the 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 action sequences and stuff so there's there's a continuity there too mm-hmm. it's not just here's a picture and here's the book and they're kind of the same but not really like there's a there's a flow there which mm-hmm. is which is good because i don't know how many times i've seen a really good flashy awesome cover on a book and then read the book go, oh that's not really the same is it yeah yeah and it happens all the time right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always. There's some um, but it was, yeah, there's one thing. The book by the I cover, do all the time. Right? That's how yeah. I used to pick music. It, you know, back in the day when you'd go out and buy a cassette mm-hmm. or, or CD. Like, okay, I don't know who these guys are, but I'm picking this up because that, that cover's awesome. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's there's some there's some books on like my bookshelf where I look at the cover and it's so boring. Like it's just as bland. There's one book. Um, there's a book called Intercepts by T.J. Payne. And it's this 
amazing horror story and it really like it get it's the kind of story that gets under your skin and you feel it um but it's the cover is so simple it is literally just a white cover red text with like kind of a ghostly image of a person behind like fogged glass and it doesn't really give you an insight into what the book is about but when you read the book it's phenomenal and then you know the the first law trilogy the 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 editions that i have are basically just maps of like mm-hmm. different colors and they're really boring kind of standard like just text on the front text on the back each book is a slightly different shade um there's like tan blue red to tell you that there's like progress okay. um but then you then you look at the the standalone novels which are maps of the regions where the stories are taking place so you can see all the locations that the characters are going to go to and they're all stylized and really beautiful and they really get across like they get an idea across in your head specifically the heroes which is a war novel and the locations and the battlefield itself is super important to the progress of the story and you just understand like oh these are the things that i'm going to see these are the places they're going to go uh, Karen, do you get any other questions? I know this is uh, this is running well, typical you and me length, but yeah, um, getting anything else you want to ask? Well, I was going to ask because I, I I'm not sure if this was asked like in the um, in the book release, like what is your I guess source of like. Um, like inspiration. Oh my goodness, my cat is trying to take over here. Um, like with regards to like like what inspires you, whether it's a major source of inspiration, like either it's a movie, a show, or a book, or yeah. Um, weirdly, I get a lot of inspiration from music. Um, I'm like a I'm constantly listening to to things like whether it's podcasts and you know music tracks. One of the things that we do with our Dungeons and Dragons characters is we create character playlists that in cool. like, like that add to moments of character development in story and like give little hints of things um, that we uh, as like a group can can make together and consume this thing together. Um, I think for for this book in particular. Um, there was, um, a cover of Iran, um, the flux seagulls. Yeah. There was a, a kind of a movie trailer cover of that song that I heard just like one day I just like had a, like a playlist on, on YouTube and the song came up and I was like, well, this is a great song. And, um, that's where like this idea started to percolate about, you know, the, the kind of the initial concept. And then for the book itself, um, I was really inspired by, you know, the kind of the usual suspects when it comes to you know, science fiction and things like that. You do Android's dream of electric sheep, you know, the, the whole Blade Runner idea. Um, and you have uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson, which was also a, a pretty big inspiration um, particularly from a technology perspective and a, and a story perspective. Um, but really what 
helped so much. And I mentioned it earlier is John Wick. Like, yeah. you know, sure, you know, Blade Runner gets me in and, and Neuromancer get me into the world and the genre, the music gets me into the mood. But it was John Wick that got me into like the action and the feel and the, you know, the way things are going to the snappiness of the narrative moving forward and the actual like action progressing and then the way that scenes kind of played out in the choreography. Those were really the the big inspirations. And then from, you know, uh, a scientific perspective, it a lot of it is from my own academic background. Um, right, you right. Know, you know, Are you the type I mean, of person that reads or like dabbles into everything fiction, or um, you kind of stick to a certain type? I'm fairly. I look fairly broadly when it comes to fiction. I do stay kind of in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genres, um, but I'm not opposed to like other things that come up. Those are just like those make up the lion's share of my bookshelf and my recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of like variation within that. Um, and you know, we would talk, I keep shouting out Joe Abercrombie, but you know, each book in that, that run of books he has, they're all like different genres. You know, mm-hmm. there's a Western, there's like a Saving Private Ryan war story. There's a Kill Bill revenge thriller all in this, like, wrapped up in this fantasy sphere. Um, but I think a lot of the big stuff comes from reading, honestly, reading nonfiction. Um, you know, that's one thing that I picked up in university and never really stopped was expanding my, you know, intellectual and academic horizons. Um, I don't get to do it as much anymore with my, you know, my day job now. Um, but, you know, making sure that I'm well-read and I'm st- staying up to date in terms of what's going on in the world and what's going on, you know, listening to a lot of current affairs podcasts and things like that and staying up to date with our society and the world around us, uh, politics, technology, economics, and being well-versed in it. In when you're writing kind of cyberpunk climate fiction stuff, all of that is so important to writing those stories and and relaying that narrative so importantly um you know you you can't really write cyberpunk without understanding modern economics and the way that our modern political system works and our modern economic systems work because those the real biting commentary comes from people who understand that stuff well someone will call you out if if you didn't do your research right Exactly. So, I mean, is there, I, I'm sure there's someone out there just writing like aimlessly mm-hmm. and whatnot, which is also fine. But I like the idea of, you know, either mirroring what's happening or being kind mm-hmm. of a commentary to that or just, you know, knowing what's happening now, then you can write some sort of like mm-hmm. escape from it if yeah. you want to, you know, write to that, um, to the, to that crowd. Um, but, yeah again like timingly it's the election like the last time we had an election um you know the turnout wasn't very good and a lot of people um their reasoning is like i don't want to learn about this i don't know anyone and Mm -hmm. and that's just like it you can't know everything in the world right i'm not a sociology expert so it's nice to know bits and Mm -hmm. pieces of that through 
reading materials and whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's nice. Like, I like your perspective. I like asking these questions because, like, mm-hmm. you know, again, I'm not, I, I don't produce art. I, yeah. I really can't. I can come up with, you know, notepads of stuff, but I mm-hmm. cannot. <laughs> so I mean, the thing, really the thing, the big thing is like the first one's the hardest. It gets easier after that. You write one and it gets so much easier because you've done it already. Um, but yeah. I think it, I brought it up in in the, the book launch and it's the concept of public sociology. And it's a, it's a school of thought in the discipline where it's kind of a rejection of the standard kind of academia side of everything. You know, mm-hmm. the idea is that the real value of the work that we do as sociologists and the way that we see the world and the way that we're able to connect, you know, all of these disparate parts of the way our culture and society and all of it functions to, to distill it down to those personal stories is the value comes from teaching people mm-hmm. and enlightening people about the world around them and the way that their society functions and the way that their society impacts them. Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't write for, you know, other academics that, well, it's important to, you know, write journal articles and all of that, you know, writing for an academic audience and and writing something that's going to impress your peers is infinitely less important than writing a book that's going to be read by Joe, you know, Joe, everybody who lives Mm -hmm. in Swan River, Manitoba, Mm -hmm. and it's going to change his life and change his outlook on something. You know, it's like back in the day, the how the work of Karl Marx became so incredibly important for the, the moment in history because it came out at the right time. And he, he wrote it at a level where there were people that could understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, some of the greatest nonfiction works that are, that exist right now, I think of Homo Deus by you know, Yuval Harari. It's a very, like a very impactful story about humanity and kind of the post-human world that we live in. And it's written in a way that like anybody can read it. Like my dad, who's not like, you know, he'll tell you he's not the most, you know, academically minded person. He's a smart guy. He's he runs his own business and he has a, a degree in economics, but he's not like big on history and things like that. And he can pick it up and be like, oh, okay, I get this. Yeah. And books like stuff by Malcolm Gladwell, like he writes in a way that gets ideas across to people in a very simplified but understandable nuanced way that I think is really And sometimes that's all it takes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you're, you, you might reach someone out there who's not interested in this specific topic and this is their window to that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what I hope this can be is a window into some of these concepts and ideas that are real and we're experiencing right now Mm -hmm. and maybe start some conversations. You know, that, that actually is, you, you got me thinking. So the um, local band weaker thans, for example, I, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but they're, they're huge. They're a, a, a big Winnipeg export. And when I listen to them as a, as a musician myself, I listen to them. I'm listening to what uh, the guitar player is doing, what the drummer's doing, mm-hmm. uh, how the, the singer is, is vocalizing and I'm hearing all these things. And then I started listening to a podcast that breaks down their catalog and breaks down the songs. And, and I'm listening to them. Okay. So here they're talking about the socioeconomic 
uh, burden on, uh, you know, on, and then I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. He's just, when I listened to the song, I heard um, a guy breaking up with his girlfriend and he, and he regrets the, the things he's done that led, but uh, a, a great song mm-hmm. can have all these la- layers to it and a great, any great art can have all these layers to it. Mm-hmm. And even picking up, it's a guy that broke up with his girlfriend which, you know, you have a relationship in the book. And if some people read your book and all they see was the relationship between these two characters or his brother, you know, his brotherhood, you know, with the bounty hunters, and that's all they get out of it, that's okay. Which is fine, yeah. yeah. But if they read it again, they already know what happens and they read the book a second time. They're like, hang on, what's what's this thing about? Okay, there's they mentioned uh, this other country here, and 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 they're not top, they're not building downward, they're building. What's that like? So, like mm-hmm. a, a great piece of work has to have those layers. But if you're yeah. writing honestly, something, mm-hmm. all all your own experiences are going to come out. So your background, socioeconomic, yeah. like all that sort of stuff. That stuff's gonna if you're writing mm-hmm. honestly that stuff is going to be in there whether you plan it or not. Cause that's yep. just it's the just way you naturally, think. It's just going to come out yeah. naturally. Yeah. But I, I can't it, write anything else, but it's honest. But mm-hmm. if you're trying to, you know, for, do the formula thing, mm-hmm. it, it, it ain't going to work. Like when I'm, it's going to come out forced, right? Like mm-hmm. it's gonna, it's not going to be authentic. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like the, the album that my brother and I put out the, our dome album. Like when we released that, you know, there's the, 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 the people that would come to shows, oh yeah, you know, and rock and roll and all this. And then there's, you know, we'd, we'd have someone come up after a show and they would say, you know, that particular song, like I really identified with that because I feel alone too. But then the other guy's like, yeah, metal or what, but you know, like when we did that album, it was, it was that same thing. It's like, there's, here's all these layers enjoy whichever layer appeals to you the most but you know but it was honest right and that's but it has all those aspects like i don't know i don't i don't know where i'm going with that but yeah yeah and it comes down to that that idea of of write what you know and that's how those things come about is you know that earnest understanding of you know where you are, what you, what you know, what you feel confident with the experiences that you have, those will all come out whether you want to or not. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't look at a, you know, a piece of art the same way that I did, you know, when I was 19 before I had really enmeshed myself in the, the field of study that I, you know, wound up doing almost a decade in, um, and I, I can't look at things the same way. Like I look at Star Wars in a completely different way now with the the undertones of like colonialism that are mm-hmm. in it, like inherent right. in it or very explicit in some ways in it. So everyone's going to, when they're writing something, they're going to come at it from a, a different perspective in their own way. And anybody who's consuming that content will as well. You know, you talked about like the, pulling the layers out. Like that's what I hope is that like people are going to start peeling back and thinking about those things as they're they're reading and start to maybe question some of the things that they're they're thinking about or the things that they haven't seen before um 
Yeah, that's awesome. All right, we can in go on summary, for- we liked it. <laughs> yeah, in summary, yeah, we liked it. It wasn't clear. Because we get all the end. It's like, it kind of was. Yeah, meh. I was hesitant because when she reached out to me, like, oh, shit, what if this sucks? Is that, because I I have a problem. Mm-hmm. I have a, I, well, it's not a problem. I like a lot of things. I, I, I find enjoyment in a lot of things. And there's things that I love and there's things that I like. And there's, um, there's certain, there's certain people that haven't been on the show that have asked to be on the show. And it's like, I can't lie. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, so when they asked me to do it, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And then if mm-hmm. it sucks, then I'm going to have to be really good at deflecting, I guess. But I didn't have to, like, I, you know, I'm a slow reader in general. Like I'm, I usually takes me about a couple of months to read a book because I, I, I take my time with things. Uh, I, I'm reading the layers as I go, but I, I, I consume this one very quick because mm-hmm. I just, I'm you know, a reader. It, I think, it, it I, I, think I got the copy and I read, like I blew through the first, like the first half. Cause I think like I, I was telling Sean, like the intro really got me like how the, everything was laid out and like, never mind, I like the theme I was in and like, you know, I just had a busy week, but like the, mm. it was very easy to get into. Um, I was, a, I was really worried not knowing what the topic was, what the book was about. Like um, Sean was just like, how fast can you read? We're reading this, <laughs> blah, blah. And I was like, okay, um, I hope it's something that I could get to because sometimes you follow, um, I'm sure, you know, you follow a, an author or, you know, a director or an actor or something. And sometimes they put out something that's like okay right so um i was like i just want to get through this so that you know when we talk to you i actually i I actually just want to read it that's good yeah it was uh it was great because um i mean a lot of people have like friends and family have said like oh yeah i want to read it i want to read it i'm like oh well it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea Mm -hmm. and then you know i um I gave a copy to my mom um, because, you know, she and my dad wanted one and wanted one for my grandma. Um, and I gave it to my mom on, cause I got the, the copies kind of the week before and I gave it to my mom, the copy to my mom on the Friday and she works in healthcare. So she was working 12 hour shifts and 14 hour shifts more like um, over the weekend. So she started reading on Monday and by the time she got to the launch, she was already like three quarters of the way through the book. Nice. And she just like had torn through it. Like doesn't matter. Didn't matter how tired she was. And I was like, oh, I was like, did you like it? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm loving it. Excellent. Yeah. All those things that you thought were pointless when I was watching them as a kid. They're not so pointless <laughs> now, are they? <laughs> So your mom doesn't have like any like uh, sci-fi interest or fantasy or no, no. she's wow, uh, very much yeah she's very much like the kind of crime fiction stuff like the the you know Patterson Grisham type yeah. stuff. My dad there's kind of like little bits and nuggets of that in there that I, I can see glomming onto. She and my dad have started to like really branch out um, from with like different things nowadays but they're still not like super into it. Like my dad will literally watch whatever 
when I was living at home with with them, like I would throw something on the TV and he'd just like sit there and watch it with me. Didn't know it didn't matter if he knew it was going on or not. He'd just like watch it with me. Um, That's kind of nice. So, yeah. So they, they're both enjoying it. And so my very not science fiction inclined mom is enjoying it. So excellent. Yeah. It's a win. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good. Okay, well, let, um, we'll we'll cap it off here. I think this is a a, a good point uh, to leave off. Um, so, where do we find your stuff? Where do we? Are you on X? Are you on Facebook? Are you on like where where, where do people reach out to offer their commentary on your book? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm on. I'm just gonna call it Twitter. I'm not, I'm not going to call it X. I'm on Twitter. I tried to push um, really hard to say X. Yeah. It didn't make sense. Yeah. It's just my name at Jason Pajak. Um, you can follow me there. Um, you can also same handle on Instagram. Um, and then as well on TikTok. I'm a little bit more active on TikTok. I do one minute book reviews uh, there. So cool. if you're following, you can nice. follow along with my reading interests. Uh, and I was worried you were going to say like. one minute dances or something. No, I cannot. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, what a what a change. What a my sister, here. my sister's an award winning dancer, so I let her have that. I, I'm not. She had that or that skill as a child. Um, but you can follow me there. Uh, go to my website, and if you're interested in picking up the book, where's the I website though? Where's the website? Uh, it is. Uh, jasonpajackwriting.com Okay, gotcha. Or .ca. I think it's .ca. I don't even know uh -oh. my own URL uh -oh, anymore. Uh -oh, uh -oh. You, just say, you just Google my name and it's... The, it's the, 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 the link will be in the show notes for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure I find the right, the right location. Well, uh, this was great. Thanks for coming on. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. So I guess we'll sign off. And um, thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week, and bye. Have a good day. Hey, gang. Sean Geek here. And Fast Fret. And we have two storefronts. If you are a TeePublic fan, you can browse our inventory over at TeePublic, which is tpublic.com forward slash Sean Geek Podcast. Or redbubble.com slash people slash Sean Geek Podcast. You can get anything from either storefront from t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, accessories of all kinds. We're talking masks, notebooks, mugs, pillows, totes, tapestries. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> Everything's there. <laughs> Just go to those addresses. Also check the show notes and help support the show. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.